I'm Dan Johnstone, and this is Hillsong, a megachurch shattered from Discovery+. Plus. Like so many others, my journey into the orbit of Hillsong started with curiosity and attraction. Music, sneakers, fashion, and well, Jesus. I was curious about what it was about Hillsong Church that made it different. Why, out of all the other megachurches and global religious institutions, it was Hillsong that was making headlines, going viral, attracting celebrities, winning awards, and breaking music download records. Why a small church from the outskirts of Sydney, Australia, crossed over from church culture to pop culture and became a cultural phenomenon. And why this church was the subject of a conference call that I was on two days after Christmas, the twilight days of 2020. That call was about a scandal in the news. Hillsong celebrity pastor Carl Lentz had stepped down after admitting to infidelity. The question of the call was, was there more to this story? Something deeper? I didn't know within a year of that call, I would work with some of my closest friends to make and release a three-part documentary that was watched by millions. They want to spread their tentacles as far as they can. It almost took my life. I'd received the most heinous accusations and threats from legal firms and I'd be called out directly by Hillsong itself. Sadly, there is a documentary about our church coming out soon. Surprise, surprise. And there are also producers behind this documentary and their purpose is not the healing of people, but simply to hurt the church. I didn't know back then that I would also hear compelling stories, heartfelt thanks and sober testimonies from across the world. I didn't know that I would have random chance encounters with current and former Hillsong members in not one or two, but five different coffee shops in multiple cities that at times would leave me feeling paranoid that I was being followed. I didn't know what was behind the door we were opening. I thought I could make a documentary and remain above the subject. I was wrong. You can't wade into the stories of Hillsong without becoming a part of the story yourself. For those who've lived through it, the testimonies are too deep, the pain too strong, and the experience too confusing. I put it like this. If you offer an arm to help someone from drowning, you had better be prepared to be pulled in and swim too. This podcast came about because our documentary took the Hillsong story to the edge of a cliff. Since then, the voices of the church itself and thousands of others around it blew it over the edge. Among the debris, people still want answers, including me. And we're here to try and find them. For listeners who aren't familiar with Hillsong, to call it a megachurch would be a vast understatement. Hillsong is a supermassive megachurch founded by a man named Brian Houston, with locations, at least at its recent height, in 30-some countries with 150,000 congregants worldwide. This is cool church. This was going to be a place where I could call my home. If you've been inside even a slightly modern church in the last 30 years, odds are you've heard Hillsong's worship music. Hillsong's music, a major marketing tool and revenue stream for the church, has masterfully evolved to match trends in the secular mainstream. They've now amassed billions with a B, listens and plays on Spotify and YouTube. In 2010, the Australian-based Hillsong broke into the US market, planting a church in New York City behind their young, attractive and effortlessly charismatic pastor, Carl Lentz. They instantly made a splash in American culture, quite literally, when Carl began making headlines for baptizing celebrities in resort pools like a scene out of Righteous Gemstones. 
He baptized Justin Bieber in an NBA player's bathtub and was soon in the same social circles as Kevin Durant, the Jenners, and Jay-Z. Behind Carl, Brian Houston's Hillsong became a church of the stars. It was modern, progressive, even edgy. A rebellion against the old Christian God. It made Jesus cool again. And the sky was the limit. Until one day in November 2020, when Carl shocked everyone by announcing his resignation over his Instagram page. He'd had an affair and was stepping down. That was the first domino to fall, but many would follow. More pastors would step down for sexual misconduct. More victims would come forward alleging abuse by Hillsong's leadership. And Hillsong founder Brian Houston would be criminally charged for covering up his father's child's sexual abuse, a charge he denies and plans to fight in court. And on March 24, 2022, our documentary, Hillsong Omega Church Exposed, was released on Discovery+. Plus. Brian Houston suddenly left the church in what seems like a forced resignation. His wife, Bobby, was removed from the church and an explosive leak emerges detailing an investigation by Hillsong into Carl Lentz and Hillsong, New York City. More on all of this later. I knew that I needed to continue to follow this closely and I wanted to document it along the way. But in this process, I've been an outsider looking in and I knew that to continue this journey, it would need to be from the inside looking out. And when I met Delali Rouge, I knew, or at least I hoped, that I found my partner. Someone to help me write the next chapter of this story. And now, months later, I'm on the sidewalk next to Central Park on a hot and sunny day in New York City, meeting her for the very first time. Our first conversation on the phone, I remember one of the first things you said, like, I thought you were a spy, <laughs> a Hillsong spy. <laughs> well, it just, it was one of those things where it was like, this is too good to be true. I remember being very suspicious. No. Did you like Google me? No. No. Okay. Um, Nobody I, did on the team. What if I was? What if I? What if I was a spy? Would it, you have figured that out? I think it would have been exciting if you were. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Let's rewrite history. Yeah. What if I am a spy? <laughs> I was first put in contact with Delali in December of 2021, as we were editing the final episode of the documentary. It was just a matter of days after we'd sent initial letters to Hillsong, so I knew our documentary was on their radar, and to suddenly hear from someone claiming to be a former Hillsong member after months of struggling to find anyone related to Hillsong to speak with us at all, it felt strange. The timing was off, but I took the call. Yeah, I think I could feel that you were kind of feeling us out, too. Um, oh, 100%. I was nervous, too. It was like a first step reaching out to an outsider and I also did not know what the intentions were. You know, I really wanted to feel out what the intentions were. Right. Delali had over 10 years of footage from within Hillsong, New York City, stored on a hard drive. She, for a time, even served as the head of Hillsong, New York City's film department. She had intimate moments of Carl Lentz and other Hillsong leaders. She had heard of our project and two others in production and thought the footage might be useful. But she wanted it to go into the right hands. I have spoken to other production companies that I'm not going to name, but that, you know, that are that were really interested in this story about Hillsong, this this huge thing. And 
what I got from it was that they were purely interested in this the sensational part of the story, like the one-sided part of the story. I remember specifically the conversation that we had where we were on the phone and I believe that we talked for like over an hour, but the first 45 minutes was not about Hillsong. We just talked about life. Right. And um, that was something that like made an impression on me because I was like, I got to feel your heart around it and I got to feel that your intentions were different than what I may have thought initially. I have a question for you. How was your circle of friends, when you told them you'd make contact with me, if you told them, what was their initial reaction? Uh, they don't know. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> the truth is I told like one or two very close people but the reason why I didn't make it public is because I still don't know what possible ramifications I could I could have gotten. Like I, I didn't know if, you know, lawyers were gonna come and find me. Like when you're in these spaces, there is a insidious like fear of uh, repercussions if you speak out or or even to share it feels like speaking out against your family right Dalali ended up giving us her footage and we used a lot of it in the documentary but only a fraction of it there were shots of Carl baptizing celebrities in resort pools intimate shots of Carl and Brian backstage joking like old pals. The footage she shared was incredible, but I knew she had more to share. Her story. So we kept in touch over the months and started to form a bond. Dalali and I have opened up to each other about our lives, our dreams, and our pasts. She left Hillsong in January of 2020. To this day, I still don't know exactly why. It's the only thing she doesn't seem ready to open up about. She says that she's past the raw state of pain that comes from leaving Hillsong and watching it unravel. But healing is a long and complicated process. How did you feel when the documentary came out? All we went through in terms of getting to know each other and and having the footage, how did you feel in the days leading up and then the the dropping of the documentary? It felt surreal. I... It was very hard to watch the documentary. It was very difficult to watch it. It felt like I was watching a TV show about like some fictional, crazy situation. But I was like, but that's my life. Like these people were my leaders and these people were the people who I talked to. And, you know, um, I felt the weight of like the the eye of an outsider, right? The gaze of an outsider seeing the bird's eye view from an outside perspective was both difficult for me but also challenging in a good way it just felt really heavy and it felt like 
what now? What do we do now? Right. With this thing that's blown up. What do we do now? It's a question that's all too common for many former Hillsongers. What do you do when something that defines your entire life is pulled from your grasp or too hot to keep holding? For these people, Hillsong was everything. And I, I have noticed that when you some people speak out against Hillsong, people take it very personally because they still believe in the church or they still are part of it. They, when you talk about your church and it becomes like a public discussion, people are so quick to take offense because we're, we're talking about their identity. It's complicated. The, the thing that outweighed the incredible moments was just the insidious abuse, I guess. I don't even know if I want to use that word. Why are you getting stuck on the term abuse? That's a good question. When you, as an outsider, and you read the articles or you read the testimonies of people, it's clear as day that it was an abusive system. But when you were inside, it's hard to make that clear line. But it was perhaps abusive in the negative effects that it had on people's psyche. 100%. And I think most of us don't know what to do with that. And how do we process the bad? How do we, how do we hold on to the good and move forward? Most of us don't know what to do with that. Holding on to the good and processing the bad. It's the conundrum at the heart of healing from Hillsong. How do you carry the messages, the bonds and the friendships while leaving behind the trauma and the abuse? In other words, what do we do now? And when there are no passengers in Hillsong, when everyone plays a part, that question becomes even harder to answer. Okay, so this is my, this is my spot right here. Dan, this is a place where I've come, I've had multiple conversations with a lot of people. I feel like I'm walking into Narnia. <laughs> I should describe it. There's a small opening off the side of a path. There is a side path in Central Park, and there is a beautiful green canopy of shade. And yeah, I feel like we just entered a small time bubble. What do you think is the hardest thing to explain to an outsider? of why it hurts to see these documentaries or to see our documentary. Um... That's a great, very, very good question. It's hard because in, in a sense, we were not using our brains. We were dumb. You know, I don't know if dumb is a thing, but like, I can't not look at the bad. I cannot put my head in the sand and be like, these hard facts, the stuff that are evil, the stuff that are like physically hurt people. I cannot just push it aside and sweep it under the rug and say, at least I, I met my best friend. At least I met my spouse. At least I met, you know, whatever, um, my friends for life. There is that complexity that's hard to name. 
it's hard to name. So that's why, you know, having a conversation with somebody who just only sees in, in, in black and white, only sees it's all bad. I'm like, no, it wasn't all bad. But I can also not have a conversation with somebody who says it's all good because it wasn't all good. Um, the idea of being a victim, but also a villain at the same time is something that's not easy yeah. to talk about. It, Does that it, make sense? It makes, I mean, yeah. victim and villain are strange words. Um, the complexity is you can't be a passive participant in Hillsong. Mm. If you were a volunteer, it meant that you were actively giving up your time for something that you believed in. If you were a pastor, you were actively performing what the church proposed and wanted to espouse mm -hmm. and wanted to grow. You can't say, oh, I was, it was just a job. You can't say like, oh, it was just, I just had to do it for this. It attracted you, got you, grabbed you, and then you, you were a part of it. Yeah. After hours of talking in the New York summer sun, Delali invited me up to her apartment nearby. She had something to show me. I'm ready to go inside. Oops. All right. Let's go. Here. Describe to me the space that we are in. Uh, we're in my house, <laughs> my apartment in New York City. I think part of my story is reflected, is illustrated in my space. This is my space, this is my home. And I have things that obviously, because Hillsong was a huge part of my life, inevitably I have little things here and there, I have well, more than little things, I have a lot of things that, um, you know, take me back to like a certain time, a certain place. So, let's see. You have to pretend you're like blowing dust off them. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because I'm like, I look around my apartment and almost everything, a lot of things are linked to a memory that has to do with the church that I was part of. So, for example, just an example, look at the wall, right? Like, Hanging on Delali's wall is the word Rouge, her last name. Beautifully hand-scripted in large black font, centered on a white mat, framed in gold. This was a gift from somebody who was part of the creative team at Hillsong who would do like calligraphy. And she said like, hey, let me write something for you. And she said, what do you want me to write for you? And then I asked her to write this. And she wrote it and then she gifted it to me. Hmm. Oh, you know what I have up here? I'm gonna look for some old passes. Oh my gosh. So these are all the backstage passes for all of the conferences that I was leading the film team in, or volunteering as the film team leader. Every conference had like a theme, right? So you see it here. Delali had a box of media passes, eight of them, from Hillsong conferences over the years, each showing the crisp, clean Hillsong design and the smiling face of an attractive young model. On the bottom of each pass was the word team. It's the, it's the memories for me. It's just little things like that I can look at something and like I can smile and also have 
some strong <laughs> negative feelings towards it, you well, know? Look at it, like, talk about bittersweet right here. So this, the story of this saxophone, I gotta show you pictures. The saxophone was gifted to me by uh, a friend, a group of friends actually, collectively at Hillsong Paris, gathered their money and bought me the saxophone. And I played it at, we used to have these uh, parties, Hillsong Par Paris parties. Actually, we used to have parties here in New York City too, which is a whole nother thing. We used to have raunchy parties here. So we had a, we had a party on a bateau mouche, which is a, like a, a boat that navigates the Seine in Paris. And it was just a Hillsong party and people came dressed up, looked cute, whatever. And I was part of uh, the entertainment. And I have a photo to, to prove it. I want to see it. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> this is me playing the saxophone, looking cool. And this was the entertainment we had. You are wearing a leather jacket a blue, baby blue dress, cool sunglasses, just wailing on that horn. I think, that, I think that's how they say it in the biz. Okay, I love it. That's this how looks they say so it? cool, I can hear the music. It was good. I don't know if I was good, cause you know, that's kind of, the entertainment was for free. So, you know, you kind of pay for what you get. But uh, I was there and I was trying to sound uh, like a professional and look like a professional. This is so cool. Yeah, that's it. It was a profound experience meeting Delali for the first time and sharing in hours of discussion about a topic that's something that she, as an insider, and me, as an outsider, were both trying to navigate from entirely different perspectives. It was the culmination of weeks spent getting to know each other more deeply, having laughs and sharing pictures of our dogs and outlining our goals for the podcast. Tomorrow we'd set out to take a journey together to continue this story from where our documentary left off. But that night I got a call from Delali. She didn't want to do the podcast anymore. I always understood this was a possibility, but I did feel blindsided and instantly thought it was something that I'd said. The next day Delali agreed to meet up with me and talk. I had a four and a half, almost five hour conversation with a friend of mine who happens to also be pastor at Hillsong. We hadn't spoken really in two years, two plus years. Um, and um, I went in the conversation really not thinking anything more. I was just like, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this person and I want to reach out. And our conversation was so complex. It was so, um, I left the conversation with my mind set about certain things. I left the conversation, my mind changed about certain things. And I said, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you remember the first thing I said when you told me that you didn't want to do it? Yeah, you said I had a feeling that this would happen. Yeah, and it was, and it was because I knew the person that you were meeting. I knew that... You knew of the person. I knew of the... Yes, yeah. sorry, excuse me. Yeah, I, I knew of the person that you were meeting. And 
I don't have an analogy for it except for the day before you get married, you don't go and visit your most significant other. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know what I mean? But like, you just, uh, yeah, there's nothing romantic about it. I just mean in terms of like. Yeah. Or, or, I know what you mean. I mean, what was, it, what was it that you talk about the heaviness of the complexity? What was it about the conversation that, that made it hard? I think I had always been aware of this, but the conversation sealed the deal for me. The actions of a few impacted so many people who were genuine, who still are genuine, who still believe in the divine, who still believe that like we can make a change. Unfortunately, the root of the tree, you know, if I want to go with an analogy of a tree, a tree that is Hillsong, the root, the foundation is rotten. Like it's, it's not healthy. And that has taken a while for us to see, but we're seeing it. And I, I left that conversation convinced that the, the root is not salvageable, but the life that came out of that tree, the friendships, the, the, the families, the dreams, that stuff is salvageable. And that stuff is what, you know, how do we move forward with that? Dalali's meeting and her sudden change of heart was the embodiment of the Hillsong dilemma we've been talking about. Speaking out against the few bad actors that have triggered its collapse meant speaking out against the good people that built it. It meant betraying your family. It also showed how quickly those on the journey out of Hillsong can stop, turn around, and question the next step. On the path out of Hillsong, there are endless paths back, and those on it have a complicated decision to either take one of those paths, set up camp, or continue on. But I woke up this morning and I realized I just had to do it. I also felt like this would be an opportunity for me to be just a voice to be able to have conversations with you about the complexity of it all, because those are the type of conversations I've been having with the people who have left Hillsong and are now in like limbo. Because on one hand, we see what's going on through social media. We see what's going on through the articles. We see what's going on through the documentary and through conversations as well. So we don't necessarily want to go back. But then what do we do with this um, journey, spiritual journey that we were on? We were all in it together. Right. So, yeah. So basically, the bottom line is just for I really I would I really am looking forward to having these like conversations that don't only paint one side or another side, but helps to paint maybe a more intricate picture of what it, what this phenomenon called Hillsong was all about. Right. The goal is always to heal, and sometimes exposure is how you lead to healing. I agree. And. I really want to hear from Carl. I want Carl 
to speak to me. Why? Because I think, I think he owes some people some answers and he owes some people some acknowledgement. He is leaving the arena and he needs to look those people in the eye and either say, I'm sorry, either say, I hear you, or either say, I see you. Because he is asking for our forgiveness. I think he should be granted that. If, it, if he is meaningfully sorry for what he did, which I, I have only the benefit of the doubt that he is, I think he should be granted forgiveness. Sorry for what part? For his uh, affairs. Affair. Affair. He is asking for forgiveness. In his Instagram post, he is asking for forgiveness. He's saying that he's going to do the work. Great. Owning up to it, doing it. I'm not trying to humanize him. I'm not trying to gotcha him. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just trying to say, like, you've been silent for two years now, if more. And there are some people that just want an acknowledgement that your intentions were good, your actions were wrong. I think that will go a long way to heal a lot of people. That's why I want him to sit in front of me. Yeah, I think people do need to hear from Carl. I think people are waiting to hear from something from him. But I can definitely try to help you with that. Let's see what we can do. Carl has avoided me for over a year now. My emails, texts and DMs have all been met with total silence. But maybe now with Dalali's help, I can finally sit down and speak to him and ask him the questions that have burned in the back of my mind since the day he left Hillsong. Questions that grew far more urgent just two weeks after the documentary aired when a sudden bombshell investigative report with incredibly damning allegations about Carl and Hillsong, New York City was made public. April 11th, the internal investigation of Hillsong NYC and Carl Lentz's leadership is leaked through the Christian Post newspaper. Plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) This is about your community. You were like, this is a report about where you were. You were part of Hillsong NYC. They're talking about you. Yep, 100%. This season on Hillsong and Megachurch Shattered, Delali and I wade through the shocking sequence of events surrounding the release of the documentary. So yeah, we have this two-month period where the Hillsong we were looking at when we started the film is utterly different than the Hillsong we saw at the end of the film. Absolutely. Dive into the Lens Report. Where the idea in Christianity is don't worship a false idol. These preachers become the false idols that are then being worshipped. And that's a huge recipe for disaster. Sit down with a new whistleblower from Hillsong's very beginning. Frank was basically using gay conversion therapy uh, in a way that was really uh, sexual abuse. If we know the truth and we speak the truth, then we set ourselves free. And try to track down the man who set the fuse on Hillsong's ongoing collapse, but is yet to speak, Carl Lentz. And I'm just going to try and walk by and just see if she's there. I'm fairly sure um, they're watching us. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. I think we should probably get out of here. 